Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, it's Basha here, and you're listening to episode three of our latest series, Boris Johnson, The Six Million Pound Man. We started by looking at the story of an £800,000 credit line given to Boris Johnson, the former British Prime Minister, by a distant cousin. It was a credit line that was missing in the public database, and it got us wondering what else we and everyone else might have missed. And so we set our political editor, Kat Nealon, the task of investigating Boris Johnson's finances. So as well as our normal weekly slate of slow newscasts, we'll also continue to release new episodes of Boris Johnson, The Six Million Pound Man. Enjoy. It's the 30th of July last year in the grounds of Dalesford House a grand estate in the Cotswolds, an hour west of Oxford. There's an orangery and an orchard, a secret garden and a swimming pool. There's also a big white marquee, and from it comes the sounds of Neil Diamond. Played in honour of Boris Johnson's new wife, Carrie. As the two of them twirl and shake on an otherwise empty dance floor, he is in a cream linen suit with a blue shirt and tie. She's in a gold sequin dress. Credit where it's due, they are going for it. Outside, guests enjoy South African sausage and ancient grain salad. The Johnson's wedding party was meant to be at the Prime Minister's official country residence, Chequers. But it was moved to Dalesford after Labour accused Boris Johnson, who had just been forced to resign, of stringing out his time as caretaker simply to have a party at Chequers for his wedding. The owners of Dalesford are the Bamfords, the billionaires behind the JCB diggers, and they're picking up the tab for the big day. In the official register of MPs' interests, Boris Johnson eventually declares elements of the wedding as a gift in kind worth £23,853. According to the register, this covers the hire of the marquee, portaloos, catering, waiting staff, flowers, an ice cream van, smoke and brie, that's the South African sausage. But our research suggests a wedding of this size, at this place, with these adornments, would cost almost twice as much. The pattern is familiar. Live large. Let other people pay. 
report a fraction of their largesse. If challenged, bluster and move on. It's a pattern that has damaged many of those close to Boris Johnson. He is a corrupter and degrader who leaves everyone who works with him diminished morally in some way. This is the central point about Boris. Nobody escapes with their reputation intact. But it's a pattern that came to characterise Boris Johnson's path through his cash-poor years in Downing Street, especially when he and Carrie wanted to kick back. Boxing Day 2019. Boris Johnson and Carrie arrive on the Caribbean island of Mustique, a haven for the super-rich with a no-fly zone to reinforce its promise of total privacy. They've been Britain's first couple for five months, and Boris Johnson won a landslide election two weeks ago. He has an 80-seat majority, which should allow him to drive through his vision for Brexit and much more. People are talking about a decade under Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He should be lapping it all up, basking in his own glory, not just the Caribbean sun. These are the glittering prizes. This is what it's all been for, but he can't completely relax. There's a cloud on the horizon. He's in a fix. And there's nothing glittering or grand about it. His bank account is draining faster than he can fill it. He has a tax bill looming at the end of January. He faces divorce proceedings immediately after that. And he and Carrie have a baby due in the spring. A whole new family. Try as he might, no one in his position could see a way through a year, never mind a decade. What on earth can he do? The clue is in the villa where they're staying. It's a secluded three-bedroom place with a pool bordered by jasmine shrubs and wraparound sea views. Who owns it? Who's paying for it? As soon as Boris Johnson's photographed outside it in red floral beach shorts, people want to know. And in any case, the ministerial code requires him to say. The Prime Minister officially registered the holiday as funded by the Carphone Warehouse co-founder, David Ross. The problem was he initially denied it before today clarifying that he had facilitated accommodation. All it's facilitating now is suspicion. In his register of interests a few weeks later, Boris Johnson declares a £15,000 gift in kind for use of the villa, courtesy of his friend, the Conservative donor and Carphone warehouse tycoon, David Ross. Except it transpires the villa isn't actually owned by David Ross. He owns a different one, which had already been let out to another guest. The one Boris Johnson stayed in was owned by a woman called Sarah Richardson and her husband Craig. She confirms that they got paid but because it was handled by an agency, had no idea who had paid. And, it is reported, the market rate is actually twice the £15,000 declared. David Ross says he didn't pay the bill. Remember, Boris Johnson said David Ross had been responsible for a gifting kind, loaning his own villa, not paying to rent someone else's. It has all the makings of a mystery. And it prompts some questions, put in writing by Labour MP John Trickett, to the Standards Commissioner, Catherine Stone. If all transparency requirements have been followed, what is the source of the discrepancy and confusion between the account provided by Mr Ross and the Prime Minister's insistence that the rules have been followed? Did the Prime Minister accept the £15,000 donation without full knowledge of its true source? If the entry is incorrect, did the Prime Minister knowingly make a false entry into the register? Who was the true source of the £15,000 donation? An investigation is launched by the Committee on Standards in Public Life. Behind closed doors, emails are exchanged between the Prime Minister and Catherine Stone. 
She will later bear the brunt of Boris Johnson's attempt to save his friend Owen Paterson from suspension for his own rule-breaking. These exchanges are revealing, but not perhaps in the way you might think. For a start, Boris Johnson freely admits that he doesn't know who paid for his trip, but insists his declaration was right. Writing to Catherine Stone, he says... Until recent media reporting, I was not aware of the identity of the person whose villa I stayed in. In the interests of full transparency, as it was Mr Ross who facilitated the provision of dedicated holiday accommodation for us, it was important to me that this connection was properly declared. As I was not aware of the identity of the individual who owns that accommodation, and in any event, they were not conferring the benefit as they received payment for its use, which has been publicly confirmed by the individual. There was no connection with me, and so no benefit or gift to declare. He also insists it was right that he hadn't published the details of this holiday as this benefit in kind was not offered to me in a ministerial capacity, something which was signed off by the Cabinet Office. Catherine Stone tells Boris Johnson his response is not sufficient and demands to know again who the ultimate source of the £15,000 holiday was. A few days later comes the Prime Minister's response. As set out in my letter, the individual who made the arrangements for my accommodation was Mr Ross. Therefore... In response to your question, it was Mr Ross who funded the accommodation. And this is why I set out his name in the Register of Interests as the person providing the benefit in kind. If you disagree that this is the person who made the donation in kind, I would be very grateful if you could explain the underlying rationale to assist me in providing the necessary information to you. Meanwhile, in another letter to the Commissioner, David Ross says... You have asked as to whether or not I have recompensed the owner of the villa where Mr Johnson stayed for the duration of his holiday in any way at all. The answer is no. This back and forth is taking place as the tidal wave that is Covid hits our shores. Boris Johnson himself is hospitalised. The investigation is suspended. When it is eventually resumed, it's like getting blood out of a stone. The Mustique Islands Agency refuses to say who owned the villa Boris Johnson stayed in. David Ross continues to say he didn't cover the costs, but Boris Johnson says Ross was the individual left out of pocket and was providing me with a benefit in kind. At some point, lawyers get involved. It'll take more than a year for the Commissioner to complete her task, with Catherine Stone unable to reach a conclusion about who funded the accommodation. Eventually, the House of Commons Standards Committee rules that an ad hoc agreement was in place and that David Ross was the donor of benefiting kind to Mr Johnson. It branded the whole sorry saga, the lack of clarity, the failure to answer simple questions, regrettable. The committee gave a warning to all MPs that ad hoc arrangements leave them potentially vulnerable to blackmail, allegations of inappropriate influence or embarrassment. It adds... We urge members to avoid seeking or accepting gifts or hospitality on the basis of complex and unclear funding arrangements, which are by definition opaque, lack transparency and run counter to the principles of openness. We also urge members to reject any donations, whether in cash or in kind, where they are not absolutely certain of the identity of the person facilitating, providing and funding the gift. Where there is any uncertainty at all about the arrangements, or if the arrangements change, it would be better not to accept the gift or hospitality. As we have seen with the Sam Blythe loan guarantee, the source of whom we still do not know, it's a warning that Boris Johnson wouldn't heed. And as with some of Boris Johnson's other backers, David Ross is now reportedly in line for a peerage. And the former Prime Minister helped the donor out of a tricky situation at the Royal Opera House. 
Just four months into his surprise appointment as its chairman, David Ross left abruptly. He had been revealed as the mystery buyer of a David Hockney painting for £11 million, far less than the £18 million that had been estimated. The painting, a portrait of the institution's former chief executive, Sir David Webster, held sentimental value to the Opera House, as well as its tangible price tag, but it was being sold off to save the grand venue from what the chief executive, Alex Beard, called the biggest crisis in our history. The problem for David Ross was that he hadn't told the Opera House he was bidding to buy the painting that it owned. He was the chair of the organisation, and this combination had upset more than a handful of people. The official reason given for his early departure was the fact that he had been reappointed as trustee of the National Portrait Gallery. According to The Independent, this was a post he had pledged to vacate when joining the Opera House, although a spokesman for Ross said this was not the case. It was, however, a post approved by Boris Johnson and it's the location where the Hockney is due to be exhibited when the gallery reopens later this year. At the time the story broke, David Ross stressed that the Royal Opera House had decided to sell the Hockney before he had joined. Alex Beard, the chief executive, said it was a typically generous gesture and a vital part of our recovery strategy. In relation to Boris Johnson's holiday, a spokesman for David Ross said, Mr Ross facilitated accommodation for Mr Johnson on Mustique, valued at £15,000. Therefore, this is a benefit in kind for Mr Ross to Mr Johnson, and Mr Johnson's declaration to the House of Commons is correct. A spokesman for Boris Johnson said, All appointments are made in accordance with the advice of relevant officials and in accordance with strict rules and a process which is set out and published by the government. All of Boris Johnson's declarations and registrations are made properly, both now and when he was in government. 
scholarships and jobs. But there was also a precarious feeling to it. They kept on moving. Um, his parents moved 32 times before they got divorced when Boris was 14. And uh, they went to America. There were riots in America. They lived in London. They lived on Exmoor. Um, but I think when his parents actually got divorced when he was 14, he, he, I mean, he later confided in a friend that he decided to make himself invulnerable. He's very keen on earning money. And less keen on spending it. Uh, and actually, he doesn't really like going to the pub. He doesn't, he's not the kind of person who wants to spend hour after hour sitting in the pub buying rounds of drinks. Um, but even, even buying a coffee is not something he's frightfully keen on. He, I mean, he'll ask some intern to go and get the coffee and, and um, say, that, say that he's got, happens not to have any money on him. And it's fairly unlikely he'll ever get round to repaying the, the quite heavy cost of a cup of London coffee. In relation to that must-eat holiday, Boris Johnson is eventually cleared of wrongdoing by the Standards Committee. But in its report, the committee aims a laser at Johnson's Achilles heel, his inability to be honest about money. It is regrettable that a full account and explanation of the funding arrangements for Mr Johnson's holiday accommodation has only come to light as a result of our own inquiries, rather than at an earlier stage. If greater clarity had been made available to the Commissioner at the first instance, this matter could have been cleared up many months ago. Mustique is not a one-off. Later, the Johnsons holiday in Marbella at a Spanish villa belonging to the family of Zach Goldsmith, a close friend of both Carrie Simmons and Boris Johnson. At the time of the trip, Number 10 refuses to confirm that Goldsmith is covering the cost of the holiday or say how the Prime Minister and his family have travelled to Spain. Ultimately, Boris Johnson declares the trip, but he does so in the Register of Ministerial Interests, which doesn't require the value of gifts to be specified. So the public never knows what the holiday is worth, even though it's provided by the family of a man that Boris Johnson will elevate to the House of Lords and make a minister. We should be fair. Boris Johnson, as Prime Minister, didn't always take luxury holidays. When Wilfred was a baby, he and Carrie went crofting in Scotland. When Covid was still causing chaos at airports, they had a brief, well-publicised staycation in Devon. He's also not the first Prime Minister to accept invitations from plutocrats. Tony Blair took £775,000 worth of holidays at other people's expense, including Silvio Berlusconi's. Then there was the story about Peter Mandelson, George Osborne and Oleg Deripaska's yacht. But there's taking a holiday and there's being upfront about it. Johnson was unusual, if not unique, in his reluctance to be transparent and his impatience with the idea of being transparent. He doesn't like having to declare things, says Andrew Jimson. Rules are made to be broken. That's, that's, uh, and the more insistently someone tells you, oh, you really have got to do this, the, the more inclined you feel to call their bluff. Especially, it seems, when questions linger about the always undeclared side of transactional politics, the dark side, if you will, about who might get what in return for their generosity the quid pro quos. It's the early hours of October the 20th, 2022. Boris Johnson and Carrie, now his wife, are at another luxury villa, this time in the Dominican Republic. His phone starts buzzing, more than 4,300 miles and an Atlantic Ocean away. Word comes from Westminster that Liz Truss has resigned after just 49 days as Prime Minister. Boris Johnson's supporters have been hoping he'll stage a comeback, but even they worry this will be too soon. After a furious round of calls sounding out allies, James Dudridge, Johnson's former parliamentary private secretary, goes public. 
Dudridge tells Sky News Boris Johnson is up for another run at the Tory leadership. The quote comes down the line from the Caribbean. I'm going to do it, Dudders. There is the small matter of returning to London. There is the larger matter of persuading people outside his core group that he can still lead the Conservatives to victory at the next election, despite an ongoing probe into whether he misled Parliament over lockdown parties. Johnson's new leadership campaign ultimately fizzles. He backs out, leaving Rishi Sunak the winner. In the context of that crazy year in British politics, Johnson's flirtation with a comeback was a relatively minor event, and yet it opened the door on one of his defining money management relationships, the one we started with in episode one. Because the villa that the Johnsons were staying at, thousands of miles away from Parliament, in the middle of a working week, belonged to Sam Blythe. It was comfy, to say the least, the villas of Casa de Campo, in the words of the brochure, were built as luxury homes, sanctuaries, if you will, for those fortunate enough to live the good life. The one that the Johnsons stayed in normally rents for $5,000 or £4,100 a night. According to the Mirror, which published pictures of the couple relaxing on a sun terrace, the pair were in the Dominican Republic for two weeks. That would put the value of their stay at around $70,000 or £57,000 but it has still not been declared on his register of interests, and nor has the £800,000 line of credit Sam Blythe guaranteed, the line of credit that quickly dragged Richard Sharp and Simon Case into an unforgiving spotlight when it was revealed three months later. It's worth repeating. It remains unknown what was said in Richard Sharp's meeting with Simon Case in 2020 about Sam Blythe, money or the BBC, because no one else was there. It remains unknown whether Richard Sharp would have been appointed chairman of the BBC had he not been involved in the Blythe affair, because you cannot rerun history with a different set of facts. It remains unknown where the money guaranteed by Sam Blythe actually came from, or how much of the facility Boris Johnson used. Sam Blythe told the Sunday Times, The support was less than has been reported and was not fully drawn down, but there is more evidence that suggests it was not just an act of altruism. The favour was not just one way. Sam Blythe was on a list of recommended candidates for a job as Chief Executive of the British Council, the public body responsible for British cultural diplomacy worldwide. Simon Case, and later the Prime Minister's ethics adviser, Lord Guite, were not told about Blythe's interest in the British Council job. Boris Johnson's spokesman said he did not in any way assist with and was unaware of any application by Sam Blythe, formal or informal. Sam Blythe has also sought to put distance between the loan affair and the fact that he was, at the same time, in early talks about a plum public role. I received an unsolicited call from headhunters regarding the CEO role at the British Council, which I declined shortly thereafter. Boris Johnson knew nothing about it until I told him subsequently that I had declined the role. One thing is clear. The Blythe bailout put Simon Case in an unenviable position. Most Prime Ministers are not quite as feckless as Boris Johnson. You can't imagine Mrs May needing to have anything like this conversation because she was a woman of integrity and probity. The issue is, was the PM entering into any arrangements where there could be a perception of a conflict of interests? Perception is the important point. Boris Johnson has drawn Simon into a situation where his reputation as Cabinet Secretary has been put at risk. And Boris Johnson seems to do that with everybody who comes close to him. 
Before Boris Johnson was let off the leash and allowed to take second jobs, Theresa May was, by some distance, the highest-earning MP in Parliament. The former Prime Minister had declared donations, earnings, gifts and other benefits worth approximately £2.8 million since December 2019. Alongside a pretty active role on the backbenches, she has given speeches around the world to banks and businesses, including in Saudi Arabia. But in the space of just six months, her successor, her political nemesis, has put her in the shade. Boris Johnson has earned £6.1 million and counting. Ex-Prime Ministers have a right to earn a living, and he is not the only one to have made himself quite comfortable. But none has ever declared £2.5 million for speeches as yet ungiven, or half a million pounds for books unwritten. In the next episode of The Million Pound Man, Boris the Brand. This was reported by me, Kat Nealon, and produced by Matt Russell. Sound design was by Carla Patella, and the editors were Giles Wattell and Kerry Thomas. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.